Hi there, and welcome to the Man in the Van podcast, your regular audio drive time companion, where our main aim is education through a conversation. Through our conversations, delve deep into all things related to the tradesperson contracting community, from news to education to industry happenings, helping you do better business while building a better and improved South African tradesmen and women contracting community. Thanks for tuning in. Let's start the conversation. Warm welcome to our audience. My name is Willem Klopper. I'm your host. And in this episode, we will discuss non-compliances. Now with me in studio, I've got my anchor, Mr. Steve Brown from IOPSA, the operations manager of IOPSA, as well as Mr. Richard Bailey, also from IOPSA, and Mr. Adrian Myberg of IOPSA as well. Just before we give our guests the opportunity to introduce themselves, let's hit the brakes. We'd like to remind our audience that this episode is proudly brought to you by Articulated Plumber. Let's continue the conversation. Gentlemen, welcome to the studio. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for your timing and sitting and joining this conversation. Um, I would like to start off by uh, each one of you just quickly, briefly introducing yourself and uh, just tell us who you are, uh, why you are in the sector, what is your current role in the sector and why you joined the sector in the first place. Uh, Richard, if we could start off with you. Yeah, hi, Willem. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, you mentioned my name. It's Richard Bailey. I was actually born uh, in uh, the Northern Cape in Kimberley and did my trade there, did my schooling and did my trade there. I qualified in, in Kimberley in about 93. So I went into plumbing in about 1990. Um, and then by 94, I was in Cape Town already. My, my, my brother-in-law told me to pack my stuff and and he will find me a, a job which I did I found a job straight away and 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 the you know I've been in the industry ever since barring one or two years uh, of uh, projects management where I wasn't so hands-on planning plumbing and that sort of thing but about what uh, Adrian would probably back me up on this in terms of timeline but I'd say what about 10 eight eight to ten years ago I happened across a, a an advert uh, uh, in the in the Plumbing Africa magazine, uh, asking for this funny thing called auditor, and uh, I said, "Gee, well, so I, I've got a bit of experience, and I am qualified. So let me go." And I became an auditor, and I was an auditor for a number of years. And uh, so, yeah, and then I got involved. What about two years ago in the uh, in the uh, IOPSA uh, regional committee of the Western Cape, and I've been part of that committee for a while, and. Uh, yeah, I've just gone from, and I think around about the same time, or perhaps even a year before that, I was involved with uh, online training. I had been doing uh, a bunch of um, online courses, such as uh, the uh, heat pump and solar training, etc., and bits and pieces of other stuff. So, uh, so that's my that's my journey. And I, I, I mean, every single day for me is a learning curve. I don't. I, I people say to me, "Gee, you've been in it for a long time." I said, "I'm just scratching the surface." Honestly, I'm just scratching the surface. So there's so much depth and richness uh, within this um, within this industry. Just incredible amounts of depth and richness, which which none of us will know all of it. Uh, it's, it just can't happen. You got to my, choose your choose your paths, you know. But uh, yeah, that's me. And then and and at the moment, uh, uh, we I'm doing a lot of audits for for our OPSA. Um, I'm involved with PRB um, and. Uh, yeah, a, a bit of training on the side as well. 100%. Thank you for that, Richard. Um, Adrian, if we can have a little bit of an introduction of yourself. Hi, thanks, Willem. Uh, hi, guys. 
Uh, yeah, this journey started 30 some odd years ago, became a plumber, uh, also qualified in 91, I think. Um, I was in construction for close on 13 or 14 years and then took a step into the local authority side, became the youngest uh, plumbing and drainage inspector for the old P municipality. And then when we changed over to a metro, I was also promoted to senior uh, plumbing and drainage inspector, a position I still hold today. Uh, OPSA auditor, uh, webinar presenter, most importantly, more recently, uh, became president of IOPSA or national president of IOPSA, uh, chairman of Jazzwick, um, PRB Exco member, CPD committee member, anything plumbing related. I think one of the, the things that get you out and about every day is the fact that, you know what, you can actually make a difference in the industry. Um, plumbers tend to be deemed the ruffians of the trade or the, the hooligans in the system. But you know, at salt of the earth, if I can be of assistance to any one of those guys in any given day, then so be it. Then that'll keep me in this industry for a very long time. It, it, by the sounds of it, it sounds as if your involvement, both Richard and Adrian yourselves, your involvement with IOPSA uh, does include uh, experiencing as 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 audit, auditors or auditing, and I and I and I take it that that is auditing of plumbing work and inspecting work of of the plumbers that have been done. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. I'll, yeah. That's that's correct. So um, just to very just to um, put you in the picture very briefly, uh, uh, when a because of uh, requirements uh, that is set out by SACWA and and the. Uh, and and the role that I, that um, PRB need to fulfil with the with the quality control of of, of the registered plumbers, they need to carry out um, some sort of mechanism in order to be able to maintain a, a high standard of, of workmanship. So what happens is that for every uh, COC or certificate of compliance that a registered plumber issues, uh, we pull about five percent, four and a half to five percent of them. And the, and the system does it randomly, and then the system will allocate auditors to go out and have a look at uh, whether or not the compliant or the standards have been complied to. So that's the auditing process. It's a, it's a very, very useful, well, very effective tool in, uh, in, in its objective, in achieving its objective. I think, Richard, you know, when you say that in terms of, you know, the audit process and everything else, you know, so maybe just touch on that, and I'm sure we'll touch on it later on, but, you know, in terms of the consumer, so so what does that mean to the to the consumer? You know, a certificate's been issued, it's been audited. So where are the values? Well, it's in a it's very couple of words, uh, peace of mind. Full stop. That that pretty much sums it up. Look, there there is no, there is there is supposed to be, but but there is a. It's a very difficult task to keep a strong handle on what goes on on the ground in any trade. I'm not talking about plumbing only, but any any hands-on trade where a, a, a person is is called out to perform a service, whether it's to install an alarm or fit a, a window. Um, there are certain standards that need to be adhered to, and it's that. That those standards are, are there and they come about because um, uh, for the need of, of public safety and, and, and safety to human beings and to the consumer. So and performances as well when it comes to plumbing. So if those are not adhered to, and and the thing is that Mrs. Jones doesn't know what the standards require. So 
I could go there and, and put in a, a very nasty installation and nobody would know any better until something goes wrong. And so the consumer can rest assured that with a mechanism like this in place, it is something that, it, that is an extremely effective way of ensuring that the, uh, that the, the plumbing installations that are being checked are, are, are properly done. And that is a, an added uh, sort of incentive for Mrs. Jones to go and seek out a plumber that can issue these, these certificates. 100%. Thanks for that, Richard. Um, uh, that, that, that kind of steers directly into uh, the fact that, that plumbing work is being audited and have to comply with certain standards and requirements. And, and that steers directly into my next question. And Richard, maybe you can help me out in this one. What exactly is a non-compliance? Well, you need to, you need to know what, it, what it's not compliant to. So uh, there's a, you've got to refer to something. There's got to be a benchmark. Uh, and, and that is the, the South African national standards, the SANS. They, they are published by the SABS. And these are the, these are the same things. It's like the national building regulations are very, very similar. But, they, but, but those are the rules and guidelines that we as an industry, as a trade, as installers have to abide by. If it tells me I have to put in a 22-millimeter pipe here and I put in a half-inch or a 15-millimeter pipe, that's a non-compliance. So where there is a clear-cut law uh, or a requirement for a specific installation in the national um, uh, standards, and I do not adhere to that. That is non-compliant. So it is not. So in, let let me answer it in a in a nutshell. Anything if if we compare it to what the requirements are in the standards, and it doesn't meet those requirements, that we deem as non-compliant. And Richard, you mentioned previously or earlier in the conversation that uh, why. Uh, uh, um, audits are being done, et cetera, and, and the reason therefore, and you said for public safety or the consumer safety and full stop. And I take it that, you know, you, you mentioned that if you do not comply to the standard requirement, that that could, that could pose a risk to the consumer. That could, actually, that could actually put somebody's life in danger or somebody's health in danger for that matter. And for that, that, is, that, that seems to be the main reason for the existence of standards and for people to work according to, to certain standards. It, it would be it would be more than just that, but you are 100% correct, especially when it comes to plumbing. If you think about what we deal with in plumbing, we're responsible for a number of things. We have to ensure that clean, potable drinking water arrives at your tap in a way that is safe for you to effectively drink out of a tap. Now, that thing's traveled miles and miles and miles. I, we need to ensure that it gets there safely. We also need to ensure that it's not wasted. We also need to ensure that whatever human waste we generate in our homes is safely removed from that home. Now, if either one of those two things go wrong, we put, we're placing public health at risk, not only for that household, but for an entire area sometimes. Think about geezers. It's a pressurized tin can with hot water in it with a heat source that sometimes doesn't switch off. Think about that for a minute. If we don't, if folks don't take this seriously, this this problem. So yes, safety, but also very much performance, uh, Willem. We need plumbing installations to perform certain uh, things, and we need them to do certain things. And if it can't do the things, then it creates more hassles and sometimes just irritations. But but it can it just it multiplies out. So yeah, it's a big field. 
All right. So now we've determined that, all right, a plumber can go out and he can do an installation or he can do uh, a repair on a, a previous existing installation and that a plumber himself can can make a mistake and, and, and his work or his material can most probably not be compliant to the requirements and the standards. But what happens if a plumber... Uh, notices uh, or picks up a, non, a pre-existing non-compliance. He gets to the site and he notices that, uh, you know, a previous plumber has done an installation or a repair that that all, certain aspects thereof are not compliant to standards. Adrian, maybe you can help me out in this question. Uh, is it stated in any of the standards that apply specifically to, to plumbing and plumbing work that plumbers are required to inform and or advise the consumer in writing about any pre-existing non-compliance aspects of their plumbing installations? Yeah, Willem, um, it is uh, or it has been captured in uh, various different places in the standards. Most uh, prevalent probably the SANS 10254, which is the installation standard for geysers, uh, which require you to actually assess and then inform accordingly if there's any non-compliance or exist pre-existing non-compliance. Important to note, you don't do this on your own work, but if there's pre-existing um, non-compliances, to actually notify the owner in writing. Um, the other instance would be 10252 part one, which is the standard for water. It's a very clear cut requirement that there, there's any, uh, Richard mentioned it just now, if there's any uh, possibility of contamination of potable drinking water, not only do you need to inform the owner or the consumer of that premises, but you're also obliged to actually notify the local authority if there's any cross-connections or interconnections or backflow risks involved in that potable water. So, yes, there's a, there's a number of instances in the standard itself, but basically if you, if you had to use your, your common sense and analyze the, the job that you're approaching, it could be a drainage job, it could be a, a total a revamp of a building. I think it's just important for the contractors and the guys out there that if you are going to start a job, if it, even if it's a revamp or something that's there, please note all the existing or pre-existing conditions. You might run into an installation that was done 20 years ago with the old popular polycop pipe. And by the time you issue the COC for your new work, you'll find that you're actually complying or you you declaring your declaration says it complies with the standards and the existing or the pre-existing stuff might not have been so yeah it's not only as as referenced in the standards but in general looking at a job you'd hate to sign a coc for something that was done 20 years ago and open yourself up for uh, remedial work so can I deduce from that audio that notifying or advising the customer or the consumer of that existing non-compliance aspect of the plumbing installation, does it serve to protect them as a consumer, their, their, their safety, as Richard uh, stated earlier? Um, or is it, uh, is it a, a type of an encouragement for them to say, look, I have, I have noted as a qualified and licensed plumber, I have noted some aspects of your plumbing work that do not comply to standards. It may put you at risk. Um, and I encourage you to sort of upgrade your, your, your plumbing installation to become 
compliant. Uh, can, is that is that correct? If I did use that from from what you said, P pretty much. It, it's a it's a, a double edged sword, or it's a it's a win win situation if you could rather call it that. Um, by notifying the consumer of these imminent dangers or the non compliances, you're not only making him aware of that there's something that could cause him or his family or his property for that matter harm or, or um, damage but in the same time then the plumber by notifying the consumer could not then be held liable for uh, the refix that is supposed to happen or the remedial work that is required to fix something that was in place by the time he actually got to site so the plumber then basically if I could use the term loosely indemnifies himself from having to fix pre-existing uh, conditions, but at the same time make the consumer aware of either imminent danger or possible damage to his buildings. Just before we continue the conversation, it's time to hit the brakes again. Don't forget to download the all new and improved App Plumber from the Google Play Store. All your plumbing solutions are just a click away, exclusively for Android users. Let's continue the conversation. So, Adrian, just in terms of that, um, so, you know, like you said, the the responsibility now moves to the homeowner and the responsibility goes there. But what about new builds? You know, we, you know, does this apply to new builds, you know, for new buildings or, or this non-compliance or how does that fit? Uh, when it comes to new builds, you'd find that there's a... Uh, a portion of work that would not or look, there's a possibility that there's a portion of work done by a design professional or put on the table to be done from a design professional that might not necessarily comply with the standards and the same would apply to that if the contractor then makes the developer slash builder or owner developer architectural professional team or whatever aware of the shortcomings in that specific design or as per if we do it according to this drawing we might have hassles having it signed off at the end of this uh, project if he covers himself by notifying everybody involved before the work actually starts or while the work is on the go then yes the non-compliance would then refer to that notification or that would be covered by that notification to everybody involved saying that this does not comply with the standards. And at the end of the project, when the um, COC needs to be signed, then obviously the, the plumber's workmanship and the material net will be audited as per usual with a reference to this notification to say that I have informed X, Y, and Z that this needs to be done differently or uh, in order to comply, they need to amend something. That might have happened during the project or it might happen after the project as long as the contractors and the guys out there make sure that they cover themselves by notifying these uh, design professionals about it. I think, Richard, that steers into my next con uh, question. Perhaps you can help me out with this one. Uh, what if a plumber or the auditor, the plumber, whoever picks up or notices the non-compliant aspect of, of plumbing installations, whether that be for a new build or whether that be at an existing uh, uh, premises, uh, what if the plumber is convinced that the contractor or the consumer will not actually do the put in the remedial actions, take the remedial actions uh, and upgrade their plumbing to be compliant. What what would be the point of still uh, issuing a non-compliance notice or still notifying the consumer in writing? What would be the point thereof if the plumber is convinced that it would not be done to, to be upgraded? 
Well, uh, there's a number of things that I'd say uh, to that. Uh, first of all, you need to be convinced properly. And, and who, uh, who else is convinced? I mean, it's easy to say, well, so-and-so said this and that. There needs to be a paper trail. There needs to be an irrefutable paper trail. So let's just separate the two things out. Let's talk about pre-existing conditions where a plumber gets there to replace a geezer, let's say. And uh, there's, a, there's a few uh, issues in, the, in, the, in and around the thing. So now... He says to the homeowner, I need to, well, here, I suggest we upgrade X, Y, and Z to, to standards that's going to cost you three grand. And the, the, the homeowner then says, no, thank you. And does so at least in writing or the, an email or something like that. Then it's okay. Then he can show that he has suggested whatever remedial actions are necessary that was considered and it was refuted or rejected by the homeowner. Then he's in the clear. With new builds, uh, like uh, like Adrian said, sometimes uh, uh, even plumbers doing new builds are subject to having to deal with very bad design decisions. Um, and I, that's a, I mean that's a debate that can that can rage. But I think the earlier the plumber gets involved with with making those decisions, I mean right at the beginning when he's quoting on the thing and looking at the design of this and recognizes that he can't get his overflows from that position out, to, then he needs to raise some eyebrows somewhere and start talking about it. But the question from you was, what's the point of giving a homeowner, even though the homeowner flatly refuses, and what's the point of giving them, giving them a non-compliance? Uh, well, First of all, it's a requirement. You, you need to. So the, the, the law requires you, to, or the standards requires you to do so. And that falls squarely and nicely and neatly into the requirements uh, of the Consumer Protection Act as well. They, the, the Consumer Protection Act is very clear um, as to what it is that a service provider or a person that is providing a product or a service, what it is that I need to do uh, in order to fully inform the homeowner or, or, or consumer um, or, as to any potential dangers or risks or um, even performance uh, dangers or risks with, with regards to the product or service that I'm providing them. So it's a requirement, number one. But number two, what it does for the plumber is it indemnifies him, for want of a better description, when once he's done the proper procedure and filled out oil, issued the notice as it is to the homeowner, and it, it, it satisfies the requirements set out in the, in the Consumer Protection Act, the plumber is indemnified from responsibility. Nobody can come back to him and say, uh, you are responsible for this thing going south and causing an explosion. No, I'm not, because here it is. I gave that thing in writing, liquor, thanks, let's go. Second of all, not only does it indemnify the plumber, but it also places the homeowner now squarely in, let's say, it, it, it moves the onus over across to the homeowner. So the homeowner, for better or worse, is now aware of these non-compliances, whether he deems it as a bad thing now because he's responsible or whether he deems it as a good thing now because it's the first time he's heard about it. All in all, it's a positive because the homeowner has the right – he has to know. He's a layperson. 
He doesn't know when a geezer is going to be uh, become dangerous. And he doesn't know when uh, a sewer system is going to start causing uh, um, um, safety or health issues. So he deserves to know. And he must have the correct information in order to make informed decisions going forward. I think also, uh, Richard, I mean, in terms of the CPA, it, it states there in plain English, you know, maybe you could touch on that, you know, uh, in terms of how that prescribed is, because it is quite detailed. Yeah, it's very detailed. And um, the, the there's a there's quite a few uh, requirements surrounding the that notice. It needs to be legible, not legible, uh, or understandable by a layperson. If, and, and I'm talking about a layperson that doesn't know the first thing about plumbing. We must assume when we are writing these things that uh, the person knows nothing about plumbing. He needs or she needs to be told what is wrong. They need to be told uh, what the possible um, uh, consequences are of, of this thing going wrong and, and what dangers exist and what risks exist. And then they also need to be informed of how to go about rectifying it. And, and, and all this needs to be done in plain English, plain language that you or I, if, if, a, if a lawyer was speaking to me now, I wouldn't be able to understand the way he speaks to a fellow lawyer. He needs to to dumb it down for me, for me to understand, because I don't understand lawyer, but he must talk in such a way that I understand what he says. And that's what it means. Um, now that we know that, 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 you know, the reason for and, and, and that plumbers must or need to issue the non-compliance notices, regardless of whether the consumer says that they're not going to upgrade their, their systems or, or whatever the case may be, Adrian, are plumbers compelled in any formal way to use specific methods of issuing non-compliance notices to the consumer, such as that of uh, IOPSA or the PRBs for that matter, or may they use any method or form of notice that they seem as Acceptable. Uh, I can I can maybe just add to that. Um, you know, can 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 they use any specific form of no, uh, method of notice? Can they can they perhaps uh, is it acceptable to notify the consumer verbally or even via SMS of the non-compliance? Uh, what are they compelled to use any specific method? Okay. Um, no. If if we're saying that the uh, you're referring to the OPSA and the PR bar, you're not compelled to use them. Um, although I must add immediately that they, as far as convenience and ease of use and being complete or being um, very detailed, they are very nice to use. And they, uh, if I think about the new PRP system where the system now, when as you add these non-compliances on there, it actually generates your... Um, non-compliance notice and it gets emailed. So I think the, 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 the biggest thing to understand is that if you're not going to be using these uh, available ones, I think the biggest requirement is to have it in writing. You need proof of this thing being sent or being delivered or being issued to that homeowner slash tenant slash developer, whatever. The point is you could use an email or you could use a, uh, a, let, a company letterhead and inform them accordingly. Um, I think the main, if you're not going to be using those pre-populated ones, if you are going to be doing your own, it's very important to make sure that your, your notice or your letter or email or whatever written um, 
communication you're going to form you're going to be using is firstly you need to have proof of what was sent and secondly you need to have this notification as complete and as thorough and detailed as what you can possibly put together to make sure that there's no sense in sending your consumer a non-compliance notice on your company letterhead all fancy and you've noted two or three items and then when the job gets audited or something goes wrong you find out that there were actually 15 things that were supposed to be on that list so by not using a pre-populated list where you've got multiple choice or where you've got tick boxes that you can simply run through, you always run the risk of maybe slipping up on one or two. But no, there's no, you're not being compelled to use any pre-existing one as long as it covers the, the non-compliances on the site and it's done in writing so that you've got proof that it was issued to the owner. I think also, just to, to jump in there, is that, you know, the one very key important factor is that the plumber, you know, should know his standards in order to cover all of the, you know, items of non-compliance. Am I correct in saying that? Yes, I've actually I've actually got it noted down here for, for a bit later on. But while we're on that subject, if, you, if knowledge of the standards is, it is... I would say paramount, probably the most important thing from the day when you start. I see in the new curriculum, they actually get the guy started on the standards quite easily. Firstly, if you don't know the standard, you won't be able to recognize the, the issues or you won't be able to list those issues if you do not know what to look for. Secondly, if you are going to, if you do know the standards, and you are going to be recommending remedial work to be done or remedial action required, that uh, recommendation should then also comply with the standards. And if you take those two things, if you can recognize and advise properly, that would be the crux of that non-compliance notice because you have informed what is wrong and you can also advise as to what needs to be done to sort it out. So even then, a non-compliance notice issued by somebody that did not know the standards could then put himself at risk or him or herself at risk? Yes, because there's a, there's a very distinct possibility if you don't know the standards and you're just taking a quick glance or you're running by word of mouth because you heard someone at a, at a, a merchant counter talking about something that they got audited on or any form of word of mouth for that matter. If you're not 100% sure and you are going to be issuing this, you would be exposing yourself. Like I said, if you're issuing a, a, a non-compliance whether it's a notice or an email or a, come something on your company letterhead and it lists two problems and there's actually 15 of them, then that contractor must be aware that he's probably going to be held liable for the other 13 that weren't listed originally. Uh, Richard, if, if you could just add to that perhaps, um, from, from your perspective as an auditor, are plumbers in general completing non-compliance notices correctly? Um, uh, Willem, if you had asked me that question uh, six months ago, I would have just given an emphatic no. Um, but I have seen a few, well, not many in terms of percentage, but I've seen a, a number of plumbers really issuing top-notch non-compliance, wording it in such a way that is, um, that is easy to understand and very nicely set out. Unfortunately, uh, that's the vast minority, vast minority, and the vast majority, most uh, people, plumbers, installers that are issuing non-compliances to consumers are not doing it properly. They, the, the detail is not there. Um, the, the requirements within the CPA are not met, not even close 
So, um, no. Um, just to, just to, if I may, uh, uh, just to go sidestep and just touch on what the CPA requires us, not only the plumbing industry, but any industry and what they talk about in terms of non-compliance notice. And, and, and they say, the Consumer Protection Act says to us that if we are, uh, it says, if, if we are going to issue a notice to consumer uh, that purports to, and then it has a number of things. It says limit the risk or liability of the supplier, which I'm trying to do. I'm trying to limit my risk in by issuing this to you. Um, constitute an assumption of risk by the consumer. So that is exactly what I'm doing. I'm taking the risk from myself and I'm placing it now onto the consumer. Am I imposing an obligation on the consumer to indemnify the supplier? Yes, I am. So there's the third point ticked. And must be an acknowledgement of any fact by the consumer must be drawn to the attention of the consumer in a manner and form that satisfied the formal requirements. And then it goes and lists a whole bunch of things which we touched on earlier in terms of plain English it, you must tell me what it's about. You must tell me how it can be um, detrimental to me or my property. And you must tell me how to go about fixing it. And you must also tell me whether I can uh, be expected to be in any danger or imminent danger or death or whatever the case may be. So it is exactly that. And, and, and plumbers must realize that the stuff that we are putting in um, really and truly does uh, fall squarely under the requirements of the CPA there. Yeah, I think also, Richard, it also states in one of those uh, areas and items that they pick up and they use the specific word must not take away the rights of the consumer, you know, by, by them not understanding or being, you know, having that notice delivered in, in something that they don't understand. So you're actually taking the rights away from that individual by using plumberies or, or plumber jargon, you know, that's going to take away their rights. It is. It is. Absolutely. Can, can I can I ask if, if it's acceptable for plumbers to perform desktop analysis due to the fact that I cannot really get to all of their jobs timelessly? I, I would say no. Um, if, if we're talking high-risk elements in a company or in your business, um, it would be like signing a blank check. If you are going to be signing that COC or you are going to be signing or sending out that non-compliance notice, a desktop analysis is, to me, is incomplete. You lose perspective of what is on site. Um, you might see a specific picture or photograph taken from this angle that excludes the 90 degree bend on the safety valve on the other side of the cylinder. Uh, you see a picture of the geyser installation, but you don't see the loose wiring just outside of the picture. So all in all, I would say um, too high a risk to make it worth your while. If you are going to be signing a COC, make sure that you are or that you do get to site. Or if you do have a licensed plumber in your employee that can actually get to site and vouch for that installation. Because if you're simply going to go by desktop, um, I've heard rumors before where guys have actually just taken the serial plate off one geezer and put it on another geezer and took photos somewhere else. Um, so all kinds of skullduggery going out outside out on outside there but no as far as signing the coc and your non-compliances are concerned i don't think uh, a desktop analysis should even come into the discussion 
Yeah, I think, Adrian, I mean, you know, when we talk about that, it's funny, but I had that yesterday, you know, with a licensed plumber whose guys had done the installation and he had done the desktop analysis and obviously quite a good guy. But, uh, you know, when the compliance order went to site and took all those peripheral photos, you know, you then found that the TP was discharging over a passage and the, the, the tray outlet was, and they were all positioned dangerously, but those were not photos that the uh, the licensed plumber had received. I mean, he's now amended it in terms of, of uh, his requirements now. You know, he's still going to continue in that manner, but he now understands the risk. But I think quite correct. Adrian, where you're saying you're not getting the the whole picture if we put it that way. I'd I'd also like to ask that both Adrian and and, and Steve and Richard, all three of you, uh, is there a specific timeline, a prescribed time in which non-compliance notices need to be issued to the consumer after work has been done at the premises? And and what are the consequences when plumbers do not submit those non-compliance notices within the prescribed time? Or if they even don't issue those non-compliance uh, notices at all, what are the consequences? What what uh, what can happen? Well, um, I can just talk to the timeline. In fact, uh, the the Consumer Protection Act say says to us that we need to uh, issue that notice of non-compliance before we actually do the installation, uh, which is very very difficult. Now, let's be honest. So, it's very difficult, but it does say to us that the the consumer must be given adequate opportunity to have received the notice and to have had time to contemplate it and um, and then make a decision based on the notice that you've given them. And then you can move forward and, and do whatever the work is that's required. So in effect, it's asking, certainly in the case of a, a lot of um, sort of maintenance plumbers, it's asking almost the impossible, but that's what it requires. So so the time frame, it's not as if the time frame is like, oh, no, we can do it next week. No. That is that is no ways. So you've got to do it immediately. And if if it's not before, it is well. You've got to make it part and parcel of your of your of your actions on site. You know, you've got to make it. You've got to view it as as something that must be done uh, as a matter of urgency. I'd like to add on to what Richard says. We're getting back to what Steve and I discussed earlier. When when the guys know their standards, if you if you manage or you own a company that has got 10 vehicles out on the road and seven of them do geyser replacements. You should have confidence in your staff to actually let the office know. I mean, like Richard says, you're supposed to do it up front, but it's it's difficult. There's time involved. There's uh, three geysers per day or whatever. Um, there are various other factors involved. But when it comes to the guys phoning the office or, or phoning you as the licensed plumber saying, we've gotten to this situation, this whole installation is done with Polycop or whatever whatever non-compliance is pre-existing, then it gives you the opportunity to actually contact that owner or the landlord, tenant, uh, incident manager, whoever is involved with this whole process while the job is on the go or while the guys are on site. So if the owner gets a phone call saying, we are busy working there now, we have noted X, Y, and Z, my office will be sending you an email or a, some, uh, a non-compliance notice to confirm this. As long as you make them aware, then basically, um, I think the reference is normally to a reasonable man or a reasonable uh, um, action. So I think that that would normally be included in that.
But I think also the risk, I mean, we've had it a few times where uh, the plumber's actually been to site, conducted an installation, and hasn't noted anything in terms of non-compliance. And within sort of the time frame of issuing the certificate of compliance, which is five days, um, hasn't notified the consumer in writing of any non-compliance. And then there's been a problem on site. And, um, you know, the client was never aware of it. And the plumber's never made them aware of it. And, and now the plumber's now putting himself at risk. So you've got a pipe that's burst in the roof. It was non-compliant. It was there before. But uh, now that plumber's at risk because the client's saying, well, nobody told me and you were the last guy up there and it's one of those jobs uh, and you've now put yourself in a hell of a position and the, sc- the scary bit is if you do get audited on that coc with no non-compliance having been issued and the auditor gets into the roof that's where um, we hate to call them arguments let's call them disagreements um, when that starts is if you start pointing out this needs to be fixed and that needs to be fixed and all of a sudden the, the remedial work on that non-compliance material and work around that geyser installation actually becomes a bigger job than the actual geyser installation itself or replacement itself. So yeah, by not issuing or by not making aware, you're just exposing yourself to a whole lot of heartache. Yeah, and I think the other thing, Adrian Richard, that comes in is that we've had a few cases where the plumber's taken it upon himself to upgrade without actually getting the go-ahead from the consumer and uh, taking this as being, okay, upgrade it and everything else. But, you know, the CPA again states very clearly that you cannot do any work unless you've been authorised to do it. So, again, it's getting back to that communication from the plumber to make sure that he does it in the correct manner. So then I can ask Richard if maybe you can help me out in this question. If a plumber has issued a non-compliance notice to the consumer, but they have not stated all of the non-compliances that they may have noticed at the installation, um, and if that installation or that COC or that, that installation then gets audited, what steps can or must be taken due to the fact that the, the plumber has not listed all of the non-compliances? Yeah, Willem, I think... If you look at a non-compliance notice, it's it's probably easier to think of it as as a non-compliance notice for one particular non-compliance rather than a notice of a dozen things. So so what would apply to one would apply to the other. So yes, I can give you one notice with a list of do- a dozen things. That's perfectly acceptable. Don't get me wrong. But if you've missed a few, then you have missed them completely. So it comes treated, it, it must be treated the same as if you haven't issued a notice of non-compliance at all. Because if I've told you that your pipe is undersized, but I haven't told you that your TP discharge is dangerous, I've missed that non-compliance and I haven't notified you of it and I'm still liable for it. Regardless of whether or not I've issued you a document with something on it, it doesn't, it's not the correct document. You understand? So it's not complete. So um, the, I mean, when one would treat it exactly the same as, as um, just having not notified the client of any non-compliances whatsoever. So, if I issue a certificate and I do not note the non-compliances, which may or may not have been pre-existing, uh, and I issue the CSC, my assumption as an auditor is that that item which you've missed must then be compliant. If you haven't noted it as non-compliant, it's supposed to be compliant, which it isn't, which means it's a failure, which means the plumber now becomes liable for that. And he will have to go and rectify it. Or if he has a relationship with a client, uh, have a discussion with a client. And often it happens and say, hey, Mr. Jones, you know what? 
I made a mistake. I forgot to mention this. It is pre-existing. It's going to cost me 1500 bucks to rectify. Can we come to some sort of agreement? And, and often it's, it's fine. So that the onus then becomes the, the it becomes the plumber's problem to to rectify that thing. Either he needs to now notify the client in writing of it being non-compliant, which places him in a bit of a bad light, or he needs to actually rectify it, which also places him in a little bit of a bad light. But um, but that's between him and his client. Um, so it's either one of those two. Either he needs to have rectified it, or he needs to have properly notified the client. Adrian, I, I think in Richard's answer, he touched the subject of COC, or he mentioned COC, Certificate of Compliance. Uh, if a plumber no or issues a non-compliance notice, must that plumber still also issue a COC? Yes, very much so. Um, the COC as a, as, a, as a document is issued by the licensed plumber vouching for his own work. Um, the the standards require geyser replacement, solar installation, heat pump installation. That upon completion, that license or that plumber, license plumber will then issue the COC for his own work. Um, part of that um, certification or self certification ends with the declaration down the bottom that says all the work. Workmanship material complies with regulation standards and bylaws, and he signs at the bottom there. So, if there's any existing or pre-existing that that should have been indicated or should have been done, that is part of that COC process. So then that non-compliance then becomes a addendum to the actual COC being issued. If it's a separate document or if it's not listed on the COC itself then that non-compliance notice becomes a part of the COC being issued for that project. Richard, if, if plumbers are instructed by the consumer to use non-compliant products and or to conduct installations or repairs that do not comply with the current standards and requirements, how can both the plumber and the consumer be protected? Yo, Willem, that's a difficult one. Um, because, you know, as plumbers and I and those people that have heard me do training and I, I jump on this bandwagon often. As plumbers, we must be we must be stronger and um, prouder in our in our trade and in our profession. And we've got to stand up and, and say, do you know what, Mr. Jones? Um, I'm not. No, I don't. Tell me to, I don't tell you how to do your work. So don't go and tell me how to do my work. This is what the requirements are. Now, listen, Willem, we are assuming here in a situation like this, we are assuming that the installation or whatever can be done correctly. But I'm being instructed to not do it correctly. Then I'm going to stand up and I'm going to say, no, I'm sorry. I'm the qualified registered plumber. You need me and you need my signature on a certificate of compliance. You're asking me to issue you with my name on it, a piece of paper, a piece of legal paper that states categorically that the work that I've done complies with all the standards and requirements that I know to exist. You are asking me to issue you that piece of paper. But on the second, in your second breath, you're saying to me, oh, by the way, don't comply. I don't want you to, but yeah, it's fine because you signing that piece of paper, I've got no worries about it. That is, that's like a slap in the face. Okay. So, and, and at that stage, you know, I would say to the consumer, I'm sorry, sir, I'm, you know, find somebody else or whatever. Again, I just want to reiterate that we, the assumption here 
is that it can be done correctly. We're not talking about a, about an impossible situation. We're talking about a, a, a consumer that is blatantly telling me that uh, he doesn't really care what the regulations say and he wants me to do it like this. Then I'm going to stand up and actually refuse. The That's how to protect yourself. As for the consumer, he's, I don't think, unless Adrian or Steve want to um, say something about it, I don't think the consumer can be protected in a, in a situation like that. He's gonna, if he's going to ask me to go against the standards, how can he be protected? Yeah, but I think what, what Willem's saying is that, you know, in terms of that, and we do have it, you know, we, you know the guys go and buy some brassware that's, you know, cheap and nasty, but, you know, they'll, they'll encase it and tile it and, you know, everything else in the last two years. And I think that, you know, that that's where it goes back to again, and, and Rich is quite correct in saying that, is that we shouldn't be deviating from, from, from what the standards are. But then they cannot be expected to be protected in the same manner. But the plumber can protect himself in terms of documentation, as uh, Adrian said earlier, is that so long as it's denoted and covered and everything else and you're protected and that responsibility moves back to the homeowner, then you are covered. But the homeowner is not. Yeah, I think it's also important to note, guys, that if you if you consider that the registered owner of a premises, uh, whether we're referring to the national building regulations, whether we're referring to standards, or even if we go down to municipal bylaw level, the registered owner of that premises is responsible for what happens on that premises. So if he's asking you to break the law, I don't think he deserves, I'm not being facetious, I, I don't think he deserves to be protected because if he's a registered owner and he wants to have that done on his own premises, he doesn't deserve protection. Sorry. Especially, uh, Adrian, if that consumer has been made aware of of, of the nature of the non-compliance and, and is Okay, with all the details regarding to what he's asking you to do. So if you've informed him about that and he knows what the story is and he still says, no, go, forget about it, do this, then I agree with you. He doesn't deserve to be protected. I can add to that. If, 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 if a pre-existing non-compliance uh, has been existing since the inception of the plumbing installation and it has been working for years, it, I mean, it's, it's been sitting there from, from the time that the plumbing was installed, uh, the plumbing installation was installed at first and, and it works, it's functional. What would be the point of still advising or notifying a, a client of that specific non-compliance? Consumers may see this as plumbers pandering for, for new work and, and for which their insurance companies must pay for, et cetera. Is, is that a correct perception to make? Or Okay, I think we need to take one step back before I answer this question. Um, if we go back, let's call it 15 years, 20 years ago, you would find that there would be work out there. Not, not all local authorities are in a position or have the manpower to actually inspect all new work being done. No one bothered to follow up on replacements, remedial work, um, additions and alterations, revamps on buildings. So we went through a, a nasty patch in the plumbing industry where we had uh, non-qualified or unqualified people doing plumbing work. There was no um, strict control around the material being used and what have you not. So you, you could possibly or you find that on a, a lot of these existing non-compliances that the previous work was never either never signed off by the local authority when it was installed originally, whether the owner 
did a weekend project with his brother or his son and they installed a washing machine connection and what have you not for mommy over a weekend. Anything could have happened on that premises, but the, the, the previous work, if it was not inspected or audited, previ- audited previously, when the, new, when the plumber comes along now to do work on that premises and he's going to be the one that declares the, the work that he done to be proper, compliant, material, safety, every single aspect of plumbing that we keep harping on about is done according to the book. This, the, the non-compliance notice would be the only way that he excludes all the other non-compliant work or material or installations that was done prior to him getting to site. This non-compliance notice would be the only way to exclude that. If if the system, whether the system's been working or not, it's like driving down the highway at 180 kilometers an hour, knowing you should be doing 120, and then you get pulled over and you tell the traffic officer, I don't know why you want to find me for today. I've been doing it for 10 years. So you, you need you need to, to make sure that you exclude and you, you actually, what is the proper English term now, you dissociate yourself from what was wrong before and what you are actually putting in and signing off now. Just before we continue the conversation, it's time to hit the brakes again. Don't forget to download the all new and improved App Plumber from the Google Play Store. All your plumbing solutions are just a click away, exclusively for Android users. Let's continue the conversation. Adrian, we, we touched a little earlier in the conversation, we touched the subject of uh, new builds. And, and I want to ask this question, and perhaps you can help me on that. What happens when a building control officer on a new build site uh, provides an op- occupancy certificate, but the compliance auditor fails the installation based on non-compliances that was not identified by the building control officer? Does this create dispute? What happens in an instance like this? Okay. um, Let's start off by saying that a building control officer has got his job description or his um, qualifications are defined in the building regulations. He's either a QS or an architect or an engineer. He's not a plumber. So if we do have a contractor submitting a COC with a declaration of compliance, he's now signing this document. Basically, what the building control officer does is he accepts the COC from that competent person or from that licensed plumber, and he signs off on the basis that he's got a declaration saying that the plumbing complies. The same principle would apply to the roof. The, the, the building control officer does not get into the roof. He gets a certificate stating that the roof has been done by a competent person or has been installed by a, a accredited installer. He has a certificate from whoever, electrical, glazing, form four, any of those documents that he gets together. It is, he signs that certificate or for the owner on the basis that he's been provided with written documentation to say that this thing complies. He's not a plumber. He wouldn't know the, well, sorry, uh, with no disrespect to BCO, most of them would not know the first thing around plumbing. But if he gets given a declaration by a licensed plumber who is a professional to state that this work is in order, then he's going to sign it off on that on that, uh, on that that premise. The, the issue with the non-compliance that the auditor uh, or that the auditor might pick up is straightforward. The the contractor signed a COC to say that the work complies in all regards to standards, material, all the rest like discussed before. 
which makes him responsible. So even if the BCO or the, the, the building inspector or whatever you want to call them in that area where you stay um, have passed it and issued a COC, remember that COC is a, is a certificate of occupancy. In other words, the building is deemed safe to be occupied. So the person could then move in. There's a firewall between the garage and the door, the glazing is sorted. The building control gets documentation and paperwork for all of that. So would that COC from the plumber be. But if he signed it and there's non-compliance, then the auditor could still hold him liable for that very non-compliances that they installed or the, the work that wasn't done properly. So in the absence of having notified the architect or the engineer or anyone up front about these non-compliances or pending issues that will come along at, at at signing off, then unfortunately that licensed plumber would have to go back and fix up whatever is non-compliant. So Richard, I can ask you then, what can plumbers do uh, referring to the insurance companies, I know that many many plumbers are listed as service providers on uh, within the insurance sectors with a couple of or various insurance companies for that matter. What can plumbers do when they have, uh, you know, they've done work on installation and they've noticed non-compliances, but the insurance companies or the consumers do not rectify the non-compliance issues um, and that those non-compliance issues will affect the warranty of the products that the plumbers used when they were doing installation or, or repair work. What can a plumber do in an instance like yeah, that? Yeah, look, it's the same as any other non-compliance. Uh, the fact is that um, uh, if a plumber, nobody is expecting the contractor, the plumber, to incur cost and work at a loss to, in order to satisfy um, uh, the 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 or to achieve a compliant installation, remember that the that the standards do allow and 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 compliancy means yes okay in a new build we we're not even talking about a new build but we're talking about something to, that means compliancy means that you've either made it compliant or you've issued the necessary notice of non-compliance. So, what does the plumber do? He gets it in writing. If 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 the plumber's answer to the auditor, for example, is no, but the uh, insurance company did not, uh, they do not uh, pay for uh, betterment, and therefore I cannot do X, Y, and Z. Fine, in writing, please. Now, next question is: Did you or did you not notify the consumer of the fact that this is non-compliant, and did you give them an, an opportunity to have them rectified, or have you rectified? If that answer is no, then I'm sorry, you should have done so. Um, perhaps you should have um, spoken to the consumer and had a, um, had them make the decision. It is, after all, their home. They are the ones that are occupying it. And if it's a dangerous situation, most certainly they deserve to know. So you have to have a written instruction from the insurance company, and you also have to have a written acknowledgement and confirmation from the consumer to say, yes, okay, we acknowledge the situation, but we still choose not to have this done. Then you're in the clear. Then you're in the clear. But if you just uh, haven't got either of those things or you just kind of a verbal, a verbal uh, you know, discussion or agreement that nobody can refer to or nobody recorded, then it becomes very, very difficult. So you have to get stuff in writing. 
Yeah, and I think also we've got to just remember that, you know, from an insurance point of view, you know, they'll, they'll like you use the word betterment or putting the client back in the same position. And I think it, you're quite correct, Richard, where it becomes a responsibility of the plumber to convey that information. And uh, as we've said in terms of the CPA, is that they are aware of the decisions they make. So if they choose not to rectify uh, any particular part of the installation that is going to affect the warranty, well, then they've, they've made a conscious decision based on correct information, and therefore they are accountable and take responsibility that in the event that it does fail, that they can't now go back to the insurer or to the plumber and say, well, Mr. Plumber, you know, you need to come and replace this geezer for me. Uh, no, they've taken responsibility for it. So in the instances where insurance companies do not cover the whole installation or repair, to whom and how can plumbers report that? And, and, and what can plumbers do in that regard? Yeah, Willem, I think it, it goes back to it. I think uh, both uh, Richard and uh, Adrian have, have sort of conveyed is that, like we said, they don't cover everything. And while the plumber is in that roof space or the area that he's working, he notifies the consumer that it's outside of the mandate of the insurance company or their policy. And therefore, he goes through the same process that we've discussed now with the non-compliance to make them aware of it. Um, you know, I think in terms of the wording of the question is that, uh, you know, do you now go back to the insurance company and tell them that, you know, they need to fix it? I think it all goes back to the non-compliance notice, taking responsibility for the installation and the consumer makes the decision based on the info that's been provided. Um, but the insurer is certainly not going to pay for any work that falls outside of the policy and, and the plumber is not going to do any work outside of that policy, but he can, as we said before, uh, generate additional work. And I think the insurers do encourage it that uh, if there's any additional work there, that they, they try and get it rectified uh, whilst on site. Adrian, I can jump to maybe in the next question that I have is what critical safety items or aspects should be non-negotiable in terms of rectification? I'm glad you, you your question reads should be non-negotiable because there's, a, there's a, a thin line between what actually happens and what should be happening. If if we consider safety aspects around, let's just let's just look at a geyser installation. You're looking at uh, TP, TNP temperature and pressure safety valve. So we're looking at two risks associated: this high temperature and pressure uh, discharging. We're looking at geyser supports over um, living areas. I've I've actually seen geysers. If you do uh, see some of the installations where they've balanced the geyser on a branding, so if the support is insufficient, we might be looking at, a, at remedial work being done on a solar installation that does not have any uh, blending valve or mixing valve, whichever terminology you prefer, so that you expose the home owner or the occupant to uh, scalding. There's a number of issues involved. That That is only as far as a geezer's concern, but there are a number of other instances we're talking, uh, when we're saying safety items, we're referring to human beings, but also safety when it comes to damage of property. Because you know what, if you fill a geezer, you don't even need hot water. If you have cold water filling up a ceiling space above a bedroom and that whole thing collapses with the weight of the water, it becomes a hazard. So there are various issues around or there are various 
different issues that could relate to safety aspects. But if once you've actually, when you say non-negotiable, if you can convey that to the owner, tenant, uh, whoever is responsible, that this is the case here. Um, I don't even want to mention the fact that, uh, or I don't want to touch the subject of electricity when we're discussing plumbing, but if something is deemed so dangerous that you see that there's an issue, disconnecting or switching it off at the isolator, informing the, the homeowner, make sure that when you walk away there that you feel comfortable, that you have actually indicated all the risks associated with that installation or around that installation so that you don't, like I said earlier, you don't want to mention half of them and the other half ends up killing the consumer. You need to make sure that if you are going to look at this thing, you need to either shut off the water altogether or you need to disconnect the electricity altogether, but make sure that when you walk away that you feel comfortable, that you're not further exposing the, the, the owner of that building to any risk. Absolutely, absolutely. I can just ask, ask that last question, Richard. Uh, what steps can be taken where a plumber is faced with an installation that simply cannot comply for whatever reason? If it's impossible, it needs to be shown that it is in fact impossible. So one of two scenarios has to be correct. In other words, physically impossible, like it is literally physically impossible for me to comply. I'll give you an example oldish block of flats designed, built uh, with uh, gravity-fed geysers um, installed originally, and they were installed uh, in their little spots, maybe in the passage cupboard or something like that, perhaps halfway in the ceiling, as we often see, half out, half in, in the ceiling, in the, in the inside of a cupboard. And those were those worked fine because, I mean, 30 years ago, we all had separate taps, um, hot taps and cold taps, not mixes. And nowadays everybody wants mixes and fancy taps. So the owner upgrades at some point and has a, a, a plumber install a high-pressure geyser and that geyser eventually bursts. And now you are the first responsible plumber that has come there. You recognize that you cannot get your TP discharge pipe out. You haven't got a tray overflow. You can't get anything. There's only a half-inch plastic pipe going somewhere. You don't even know where. How do you physically get this thing to comply? It's impossible. So all you need to do is make sure you've looked at all possible re remedies, all possible um, uh, uh, solutions that that could, and, and that includes like stuff that you wouldn't usually think of. What about relocating that geyser and putting it outside on the passageway, on the walkway? Well, we can't because people will hit their heads on it. Okay, fine. Uh, what about uh, putting it uh, somewhere else in the in the roof space? Oh, we haven't got a roof space. Okay, fine. What about, um, you know, and go through these, even though they seem silly or, no, man, don't be ridiculous. You have to consider these solutions, suggest them, and then have them refused. Okay? So you can show that you have at least applied your mind to it and said, well, We've tried this, we've tried that, none of this thing will actually work. The second way which it is impossible to rectify, if it, if, of course, is if the homeowner refuses. Even though the homeowner has been told or uh, shown that, you know, it could possibly be a dangerous situation or a non-performance uh, uh, situation or a, uh, whatever the case may be, and the homeowner says, I'm sorry, Richard, but I don't want you to put it there. It's I just don't want it. I, I want it here. 
Okay, then you need to make a decision. If it's a safety thing, I don't think that's a negotiation. But if it's a performance thing, like a little bit longer, dead leg to a point or whatever, then you put it in writing and you say, okay, I've brought it to your attention and here it is and you've refused me. And there, both of those scenarios mean that the plumber uh, is covered because it's an impossibility for him to actually rectify it. But you've got to be able to show it. You can't just say to an auditor, oh, because he said so. No, that, that you've got to show it. Sure. Sure. Or the other one, it was like that before, and you leave it like that before, and it just becomes a continuation, and, and nobody actually addresses the elephant in the room. Or it gets discharged, if we take the TP as an example, to a bath or over a bath or a shower or whatever, and there's just nobody actually thinking logic. So, again, as Richard says, going back to the safety issue after you've just checked and done all the balances. Just before we say goodbye, it's time to hit the brakes one last time. We'd like to encourage our audience to follow Articulated Plumber on Instagram and Facebook, not only to find out more about the Man in the Band podcast, but also to learn more about any exciting and interesting news that we may have. Our handle on both Instagram and Facebook is Articulated Plumber. Gentlemen, I'd like to to thank you for your time and your effort and having joined us in studio today and, and for your inputs and for the information that you shared with our audience out there. I think that you've shared very valuable uh, information with them and that, that you've clarified quite a few questions that they may have had re with regards to non-compliances and how non-compliances work and how they should be completed, etc., Uh, are there any last words from either of you uh, to the audience members just before we end this episode? Can I, can I just reiterate something I said earlier? Guys, the, when it comes to plumbing, there's a set of rules with about 10 or 12 documents referring to what we do on a daily basis. Get to know the standards. If you need to, there's, there's no excuse with tech talks out there and with uh, the webinars that are available and all this information that's out there, it's available freely or at no charge. Get your, your guys that go to site or your, your actual installers or the guys that you leave or you, that, that work for you, get them up to speed with the standards as well. Uh, it's the only way to protect yourself and your company is if you're aware of what is wrong or you can pick up on what is wrong and then suggest the way out, you will be covered as far as non-compliance is concerned. If you're just going to be sitting back, filling in a generic thing to say that, you know, the current existing does not comply, that 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 is no longer, well, it, it was never actually acceptable, but it is no longer acceptable. Get yourself into a position where you can actually defend what you do or what you don't do. Thanks. Yeah, if I can just uh, have a last word as well. The you know, non notice of non-compliance. I think, as Adrian alluded to, now is something that none of us, myself included, uh, have have made have have placed a huge amount of importance on throughout our careers. This didn't exist. The notion of this didn't even exist in my brain uh, when I was doing my trade or when I was newly qualified. I mean, there's just, yes, you have a discussion with people, but the, the, the importance of this just didn't exist. And we just need to, and, and I say this with a lot of stuff that, uh, that a lot of information that, that, that is out there, we have to have a change of mindset. We have to. The whole world is changing. The whole world is changing, not only technology and this and that, but every, everybody's psychological um, uh, 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 mindsets are changing. 
the world is a different place and we have to ensure that we protect ourselves. And guys, this is a simple, easy mechanism and effective mechanism to protect yourself uh, from any kind of liability. How many times I shake my head and I, and I just want to scream because it's, it could have been achieved and prevented. Whatever the dispute is or whatever the thing is, could have been prevented just with a simple and proper communication at the right time. That is so key for me that um, I just want to please encourage everybody to make full use of, of the non-compliance notice and 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 see it for what it is. It is it is something that protects you, and um, and if you look at it from a holistic, it protects everybody, including the the consumer. Thanks, Estac, for that, Richard. Uh, Steve, any last words from yourself? Yeah, I think Adrian and uh, Richard have put it together. But I think that you know, uh, like I say, that non-compliance is your friend. You know, it, it's there to assist you, and again, either protect. Or, you know, uh, if you have the consumer that's going to uh, take cognizance of what you've done, it may in effect uh, affect your bottom line. But, I mean, the clear thing is it's a non-negotiable. It's a requirement of the standards. And it lifts you to a level of professionalism because you're now showing that consumer you know your stuff. And, and again, it just elevates you up. That's all I have to say. Thank you. Gentlemen, once again, thank you so much for your time, for your efforts, for your inputs. And of course, thank you to our audience. Thank you to our audience to tuning in and to listening and joining this conversation. We hope that you have uh, gathered some very valuable information and that uh, that there's been clarification on a couple of uh, questions that you may have had in this regard. Finally, it's time to switch off this engine. Cheerio. Man in the Van podcast, your regular audio drive time companion. 